This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Athletes, military personnel, Olympians, and elite performers worldwide use mental performance training based on scientific evidence. Training for the mind is similar to strength and conditioning. For peak mental performance, it is important to build focus, confidence, mental strength, and visualization training. Today's episode is about mental performance and knowing how to form an ego within certain environments to change the game and your life. Valeria interviews Alexander Bolovich. He is a mental performance consultant, founder of Elite Mental Performance, and speaker. Chapel Hill, North Carolina native, soccer player, goalkeeper, growing up, competed at Creighton University under his dad as the coach, former UNC Tar Heels coach, had several injuries and surgeries in college, and dealt with depression, slowly overcame that after college. Alex has a Master's of Science degree in sport and performance psychology. He recently opened his own mental performance training platform, Elite Mental Performance, helping athletes across the country master the mental game. Alex uses his experience in education to help provide athletes, performers, and any individuals live a more fulfilling life on and off the performance domain. Meet Alex at EliteMentalPerformance.net. Here's the interview with Alexander Bolovich. In your own words, who is Alexander Bolovich? Well, I am I. I always like to break it down to be very simple. I know it's a complex term, but um, I don't like to just say what I do or you know where I come from, but I am a complex individual of a variety of wonderful uh, experiences and traits I can give to the world, as well as my own flaws. And together, it's just who I am. I am I. That's mm. how I see it. <laughs> yes, um, that's an interesting answer to that question. The chains and the complexity and the parts. Do you ever feel that there's something about you that never changes, that's always the same? Have you ever felt the presence of that? Yes, yeah, some values and characteristics for sure. Um, but, you know, there's always some things that surprise you that do change over time within. Um, but yeah, I would say my loyalty for sure. That's a, a big value of mine that I always have and carry with me. Uh, and if I were to put two more values to what really encapsulate who I am is passion. 
I'm very passion driven. I have a variety of passions. Um, and then servitude, um, for others. It's, uh, it's something that wakes me up in the morning. So I, I don't really see any of those three changing anytime soon. Right. That's um, an interesting answer again. And, and, you know, I have to say that one of my practices, spiritual practices, is finding what the I is, what's behind this, um, this which we call I, and then going deeper into it, meditation, observation. Then I realized that there's something that is always observing everything, looking at everything. So whatever we are aware of, it's actually being observed. So if it is being observed, there's something there that never changes. It's always looking at the chains. So everything that changes or doesn't change, even, is being observed. So that's um, the realization I came to uh, discover after many, many years. That's it's amazing. It's a practice, of course, because it's becoming more aware that I am not what chains or what can be seen, touched, smelled. There's no connection between what I am and what I sense with the sensory perceptions, with the body-mind. So even the mind, the thoughts, memories, all that, it's being observed. Something is aware of, and that's what I call the I. But that's a, a different conversation, I would say, Alex. <laughs> that's a spiritual conversation, which is the same thing. I see everything as, as spiritual. There's no separation. Oh, I love that. Do you see passion and purpose being one and the same or very similar or somehow different? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. So if I were to use the Japanese philosophy of sense of purpose, it's called Ikigai. Uh, not sure if you've heard of that before. Yeah, the four criteria of doing what you love, doing what you're good at, providing a service for the world, and being able to be financially secure with it. So those are the four areas. And if you do what you love and do what you're good at, those two areas together can equate to becoming your passion uh, just by themselves. Because that's where, um, you know, you're... I may be able to love animals and go donate my time at the Humane Society, and it's something I love doing. I'm really good at it, but it and it also may be providing a service to the world for sure. But you know, it may not be providing that financial security that I need. So uh, I need that. If we're talking about in the terms of ikigai, I would need to hit all four of those to find a full sense of purpose. But we're talking about like an internal moral and spiritual sense of purpose that I think you can simplify it down to um, and doing the things that you love. Uh, the way I see it with myself is my purpose is to serve others. Um, I've done this historically in three different passions. I've done it as a soccer coach, as a fitness coach, and as a mental performance coach. Those three are all passions of mine. I have many other passions, but my purpose is to serve and to help mm -hmm. others. So mm -hmm. that's how I, I see it from my lens. And it's beautiful to hear that again from you because I have heard pretty much all my guests. They all say the same thing. It's been over a thousand people. It, when it comes to purpose, what's the purpose of life, of your life? And it's always to serve, to help others. Do you wonder why that is? Why do we, as human beings, why do we have, 
we focus on helping others to find this deeper sense of purpose? I mean, that's a great question. If you were to look at it from a spiritual lens, I think um, if I were to take spirituality and shift it to religion, you know, it's in religious texts all over. You know, these are the um, morally upright people that have been used as, you know, markers of what it means to be whole within this world. Um, they've all really had that similar sense of giving and similar sense of servitude. And when you have such you know, profound people in our past that have been, you know, shown as the leaders in this way, you know, even outside of religion, you look at the Martin Luther Kings and Nelson Mandela's, you know, these are people that are known for moral uprightness and righteousness. And that's where you find that connectivity. I think it comes from the soul for sure. People are born with that soul that wants to connect to that. Mm. Yes, I would say big yes to that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Barack Obama who said something interesting. He said, just paraphrasing him, the foundation of morality or ethics is seeing yourself in the other. Once that happens, when you realize that you are the other or you can see yourself everywhere and in everyone, then that automatically happens. You cannot hurt anyone because you're hurting yourself. And that is the teachings of all spiritual organizations, all of them. They all, philosophies, they all say the same thing. Spiritual philosophies or spiritual institutions, organizations, religions, they all come down to that powerful message seeing yourself in others, or seeing God everywhere. I like saying that way, although I don't use the word God as often, but that's another way of, of seeing that. So that might be the reason, and that's a beautiful one in my lens. Sure. You are a mental performance consultant, founder of Elite Mental Performance as well. When did you find this passion, or when did you find this sense of purpose in doing what you're doing today? Yeah, no, that's uh, I can break that down to three categories. One, my father was a soccer coach growing up, and I remember always going to meet people and former athletes, other coaches, going to banquets and whatnot. And they never really spoke about him as uh, a successful coach with his wins and losses, as successful as he was in that category. He always spoke about his character and how he's helped them outside of the soccer field. And that to me was really powerful and really influencing as I was growing up. And I, I did personally struggle in uh, college and with mental health related issues more particularly. And I've gotten a lot better with that, but there was a personal connection with mental struggle that I had. And I wanted to understand more of it. And I knew it was not just something that I was experiencing, but a lot of others were. And I was wondering how else I could give that back. Um, and then within the context of sport and using soccer, I was a goalkeeper. There's a lot of mental components to it, psychological pressure. And I got a lot of things right, but I also got a lot of things wrong. Hindsight's always 20-20. And I want to be able to provide a service for young athletes to be able to be more proactive than 
I was and to give them the tools necessary to deal with the challenges that they're going to see coming forward. So a lot of it had to do with my dad and then my own personal experiences, but also giving back to the the sport as a whole, not just soccer, but you know, sport as a vehicle for uh, internal growth and combating challenges that you're going to see. It's beautiful, though. What can I say? <laughs> There's nothing more beautiful to me, seeing other human beings helping themselves, seeing themselves deeper, having that sense of self-awareness and honesty, and then passing that on, that wisdom on. It's truly, truly beautiful. I want to thank you again for what you do. And within the realm of mental health and mental performance, from your perspective, what is to be mentally strong? And what are some of the misconceptions we have about mental health and mental performance? Oh, that's a very loaded question with a yes. lot of layers. I love it. I could yeah. uh, speak for hours <laughs> on yeah. a topic like that, but I'll break it down and uh, as I can. My my version of mental strength is one's willingness to accept imperfection and vulnerability, but feel comfortable in any environment under any situation because they feel they have complete control over their mind. And it's a very difficult concept to grasp um, for a lot of people. And I understand why. And we're never going to get 100 percent right. But we're always on a journey of improving and getting closer and sharpening our sword, for lack of a better term. Uh, so for me, that's what it comes down to is embracing our imperfections, what makes us unique. Right. And our acceptance of vulnerability, but also going into an environment and using that as like our superpower and our shield and saying, I feel comfortable with who I am in this environment under any circumstance, and I'm going to be able to figure it out. Uh, that's about mental strength. If I look into mental health, it's something that we all have. A lot of people associate mental health with uh, just the mental health illnesses such as depression or anxiety. That's when that topic starts to come up. But mental health is it's a spectrum and it's something that we're all on and we will ebb and flow within this spectrum every single day. Um, and it's something that is going to be challenged, especially with how quickly the world evolves. And we can sometimes feel like we're playing catch up with it. So it's just a matter of understanding when we're in um, a state of uh, depression or anxiety or a state of euphoria and joy, right? Versus having a trait, which is a little bit more inherent, a little bit more consistent of depression, anxiety, euphoria, and joy. And then what the proper uh, procedure and path is for that individual on how to best manage within that. So that's how I see mental health is people kind of look down on it, but I really do appreciate what's happening a lot more in this day and age, especially with athletes coming out and talking about their own mental health struggles to, you know, show that it's okay to be human. It's okay to feel what you're feeling, go through what you're going through. And there's plenty of people out there in the world that yes. are willing to help. Wow. It's okay to be human. That to me says it all. I love the piece of self-trust, 
trust oneself, to be vulnerable even. It takes self-trust, doesn't it? A lot of the times we move the self and just leave trust. I trust life, which I'm not yep. different from it. I'm life itself. So I just kind of trust this whole experience uh, called life. What is to say? What else to say? It's almost like there's a, a pause <laughs> when I hear something that it, it resonates. I mean, so true that, yeah, you almost want to end everything, <laughs> which we can't. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we realize some of these you know, powerful powerful insights and we realize powerful truth that almost like puts us in a in a place of peace of complete peace almost like oh this is done my goal here my purpose whatever it is that's this is it but then it's interesting to see that the whole experience continues and then we have to manage how to always go back to it and that's what some people they have this um you know the concept of balance that is a place to get and stay there. But the more I experience this life, I see that um, it's very dynamic balance. And whatever, even truth, whatever truth is, it's always realizing it and then knowing how to return to it. It it's always comes down to returning to whatever it is that we have realized or, or found. I love how you mentioned about balance being dynamic. Um, because that's something that I've personally wrestled with in understanding, like I need to have more balance in my life. And you know, if I, if I see that and I think that, then that's what I'm going to constantly see and think, and nothing is ever going to look like balance because then I don't really have an understanding of what balance looks like. And, you know, if you, if you look to see how is my life actually balanced right now, right, you will find that. You will look for that and that's what you'll see. And if you're dynamic with that and just understand the ebbs and flows that are going to happen throughout your world, that is the balance, right? Like we need pain to understand joy, right? We need sadness to understand happiness. It's one cannot exist without the other. So that is, that is the balance. Yes. Now you're going deeper into, I mean, <laughs> I love these conversations, but I know I can't. I don't want to turn into a like a, a spiritual topic, <laughs> although, as I said, everything is spiritual to me. Yes, right. The duality, basically the opposites are duality. But I always go back to that something that's here that never changes. It's always aware of everything that changes or the opposites. It's aware of everything. So I always go back to that and I inquire a lot into what that is. And that's where I get my own sense of peace personally. And that's when I sense also in others when they are kind of in contact with that awareness that's always watching what changes that I get the sense of peace as well. And that's why I engage in a lot of uh, spiritual practices from that perspective, which is, it's a little bit, um, it's called Advaita Vedanta. I'm not sure if you heard about it, but it's non-duality really. So it's a very... It's a fascinating exploration from the human experience point of view. It's a fun one, too. So another I have another open question for you, Alex. Within all that you have already kind of um, clarified and, and talked about within this conversation, how do you define the ego? 
what would that be? And because of the topic of our conversation when we spoke initially by email, it was about, was about, and it still is about knowing how to form an ego within certain environments that can change our lives, paraphrasing you. So talk to me for a moment about that. Yeah, so the ego is our sense of self. It is our understanding of who we are within our world, who we are within our society, and who we are within ourselves, right? The uh, existential understanding of those domains of who we are. And the reason why I really focus on this, even though I am a mental performance consultant with predominantly athletes and performing artists, our what we do is just an extension of who we are. And if we aren't aware and bringing mindfulness and continuing to bring mindfulness and continuing to increase our awareness and learn more about ourselves every single day of who we are within those three constructs, within ourselves, within our society and within our world, then you're going to see the vehicles and the attachments to us, like our sports, our career, our family, right? Our relationships, those are all going to be impacted if we are very shallow with our understanding of ourselves. So I want to help increase the depth of our understanding within who we are as a means of enhancing the attachments to our to our life, especially the ones that mean the most to us, which are probably our loved ones, like our family and our friends. Um, and then obviously the things we enjoy doing, our passions, right, which for athletes is probably their sport. So we, we start with that very intense foundational level. That's um, a beautiful topic to go deeper into it, because I, I do also sense I have been very curious throughout my life about who who was this like why why am I here or oh, whatever I call I is here why is this in me whatever it is here aware of this external world these um, you know these basically it, it almost feels like a dream a lot of times and it, that's how I have perceived life from a very young age. And then I became very curious to know. And only now, has been almost 10 years now, that I have found language to express uh, through, of course, um, with spiritual philosophies, what this is. And when I hear the word ego, uh, I think about that there's no separation, really. That everything is connected. So I know we create so much opposites, or it's already within the, this realm of existence, of what exists, the opposites, but it's not who we are. It's everything that we say, like when I say I have, that's my perspective. When I say, you know, if I am sad, I don't say it that way. Uh, sadness is here or whatever is here. I could be, I'm aware of depression, of sadness, of happiness, whatever it is. It's, I have learned not to attach the eye to anything. It's a challenge to do because we live in um, in a reality where it's almost like an agreed, shared reality that we have to communicate that way. I am depressed. I am this. I have the I. Oh, I am an athlete, 
you know, I have those skills. I, I have, it's something that we, we have, or we are experiencing, I would say, experiencing. That's even better word. But not, it's not essentially who we are. So it's uh, interesting to see that dance because it's not being attached, but being engaged with. So that's a big difference. My life has, has made a huge difference. So when I see anything that has, uh, let's say, a very powerful, energetic charge, uh, feelings that are very strong, I experienced a lot of trauma in childhood. So when they come up again, I just kind of watch them. I see them here, but it's, I know it's, they're just coming to visit in a way, but it, they won't stay. And I know they will not stay. So that's how I, I kind of live my life from that perspective. Everything that's good or bad is just coming to visit, <laughs> but they never stay good or bad. Do you go deeper into that? Um, or how deep do you go when it comes to exploring the eye with your clients, Alex? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Really depends on the client. Yeah. First of all, I mean, you know, if I'm working with a 13 year old versus a 25 year old, there's a sense of understanding, but um, and I may be able to hit more spiritual levels with an older client, but otherwise, the 13 year old is in more of like a discovery phase, and I'll use storytelling as one my consultation practices with the athlete to understand meanings within stories and then try to understand how that meaning it increases value and how we can replicate or demonstrate desired values that mean something to ourselves uh, as long as they don't you know harm others obviously but um, yeah no I'll I'll go really deep into those in the first month or two with my athletes. Um, and then after that, we start to attach mental training skills like focus training, visualization training to get into the methods and modalities, modalities. But otherwise, uh, we take a good one to two months of really exploring a sense of self with the, um, with the practice of continually doing it as we uh, continue our training. This is something that I'll have athletes and my clients reflect on, journal about, meditate on, on a basis as a means of figuring out just a little bit more and unraveling one more layer. Mm, yes. And it's interesting to see that that question of who are you, that says a lot when you hear the person say, I am a doctor. I am somebody who does this, that. I have um, a husband or wife and kids. That shows their identity, what they're attached to. So when it's, um, to me, it's not that it's not, it's, of course, that's the sense of identity within the, the human experience. It's very important to embrace them and engage with them in a real way. But it's, we are not limited to it. I think that's the other perspective that most of us don't have, that we are not limited to the identity. We actually are timeless and unlimited. I would say the real us, in a sense, I say uh, the real with the, a capital R because it kind of overarches everything else. So it's, that's the real one because it's kind of over everything. It's the foundation, but also it's the 
the overarching of everything that's happening, the experiences we are having. And I was just kind of wondering now, from your perspective as an athlete, when you were a goalkeeper, because I watched the World Cup recently, I'm from Brazil, you know, and I was like so excited about it. It's kind of funny how we get so engaged with these things. Did you watch the uh, Brazil, I think it was Brazil against Croatia, and then they were with the, um, it was the penalties, yeah, that they had that moment, you look, I was looking at, into their faces and the eyes, the concentration. I'm very interested in, in emotions and all that, and also from that perspective of uh, attaching to experience. So they were, some of them were very attached to the experience of losing, that they were, for a mo like, it's easy to see, like, when they're winning, they're all happy and celebrating, and then when they're losing, they're like the opposite. So you see pretty much the dynamic of life right there happening within one, I mean, just looking at ourselves and then we see one moment we are happy and, and the other we are sad. And it's pretty obvious that living this way, experiencing, only experiencing life this way will be in this roller coaster of emotions. It's just will never stop. And then it doesn't feel good when it's too many ups and downs. So... When you were a goalkeeper, did you experience that too? Or were you, were you already practicing not being the, ex knowing that it's just an experience and you didn't have to go attached to it as being you? Oh, if, I, if only I knew what I knew now. Um, I definitely fell into the trap that I see many do, which is they attach their identity to what they do and uh their their competency within that as well is um you know a sense of self-worth and that's where i struggled a lot in uh college because i attached my sense of self-worth to my position my competency within that position and my productivity instead of enjoying the experience for what it was and being more with the with the time knowing that you know this isn't going to last forever right every athlete has to retire at some point and every college student is going to graduate and a better approach is to embrace the ups and downs as a valuable part of your individual journey a valuable part of your story of your life um and Embracing wear like a chain of armor. I really wish that uh, I had that level of connectivity within myself, that spirituality, to be able to to see and feel that. But I definitely didn't. That's one thing that when I say to my athletes, like there are some things I got right in order to get there. But in hindsight, being 2020, there are definitely some things that I got wrong, and it's pretty clear within research as well how detrimental it can be to attach your identity to your sport or your position. Um, and it, it hurts a lot of athletes. And that's where I, I, I'm glad I work with a lot of high schoolers now to try to get ahead of it because this is where they're really starting right. to create their sense of identity. Uh, yes, I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful work that you're doing. If you can kind of um, inspire them to reflect, to contemplate the idea that they can, they can do all these things. It's almost like 
having this life as a playground. And you know, let's just play and see. Um, it, like you said, this is the, the personal journey. So let's see how far we can go in a sense of growth within the experience. But we also have the other side, which is the one who we are that never changes. Not the person, really. It's not a person. <laughs> There's no name for it. That's what we call, refer as God, as the source, as divine being. So that never changes. And there is always that perspective. And you know, a lot of times I, throughout my own journey, I thought that I was trying to kind of um, lessen my own pain within the human experience by believing in these things. And that's something that I also was very aware of. And I didn't want to become that a belief system because that wouldn't help me that much. It's within the person again, that trying to deny reality and all that. And that's why I went deeper into it in the sense of exploring, is there something here that's not the experience, that's experiencing actually what is being experienced? And that's what I found. I wish children would, now it's happening. It's wonderful to know. Yeah, young people, they would already engage with this, play with these ideas, these uh, perspectives. It's called spiritual, but I say spirituality too because we have to use the language of term, but it's not even that. It's just what's happening. It's just the truth. If there is one, it, it, that's what it is. Life, it's possibilities and there are many perspectives. We cannot be only be confined to one or, or a few of them. We're so unlimited by nature. I want also to mention a blog post that you have written that caught my attention. It's titled The Tryouts, Three Mental Tools to Cope with uh, the Pressure. And then I know we have been talking about almost like the ultimate uh, perspective. But talk to me about these three uh, mental tools, spotlight technique, process goal setting, and tactical breathing. Yeah, so... There's a variety of what we call mental tools or mental skills that we can help with coping with pressure, for example. And tryouts for a lot of players and athletes, they're just such a stressful time for them. And they're always thinking about how can I reduce this sense of stress and pressure? So I picked three tools that are are simple to do. And if you read them, then you can apply them. So I want to be able to reach a wide range of athletes. A spotlight technique is a visualization that athletes go into before tryouts happen. And it's to completely cut out the external pressures and stresses that they may be feeling. It's more of a coping strategy than it is a regulation strategy. So it's a visualization of you on the field with your teammates, the opposition. But what is it about the actual sport in this environment that is causing you the pressure? Well, maybe it's your parents watching. Maybe it's the coaches watching. That's probably it with tryouts. And you immediately make the room go dark, right? Your visualization of the field goes dark, but then you just have a spotlight and it only wraps around the edges of the field. So that's all you can see. It's just you, the other team, your teammates and the ball. And all you're doing is playing soccer. If this is the sport that I'm using for the example. And 
when you engage in this visualization and you really sit there with it and you practice it over and over again, you become more familiar with it and you start to enjoy the sport for what it is and not the event of tryouts. When tryouts actually come, right? You just rehearse to yourself, right? Spotlight. It just to narrow your focus within the lines of the field so you're not concerned with what's happening outside the lines. Uh, process goal setting, there's three different kinds of goals. There's the outcome goals, performance goals, and process goals. Outcome goals, we don't really have much control over. Those are long-term. Those are dreams. There's a lot of variables that have to happen. Stars have to align. Performance goals, we have a little bit more control over. But process goals, we have 100% control over. And these are controllable actions that we can do during tryouts, and we just focus on those. So is it instead of saying, I want to score a goal, right? That's a performance goal, right? You may not even get the opportunity to shoot in tryouts. So what are the things that you can control to get yourself in a position to shoot the ball? Well, I'm going to make more runs in behind, right? Or I'm going to show for the ball more. I'm going to try to get on the ball more. So these are the actions that lead up to the moments where you have the opportunity to create some form of performance. And when you focus on the controllable actions, then you're not allowing your mind to focus on anything outside of your control. And the mind can only focus on one thing at a time. As much as we would love to say that we multitask, that's our conscious and our subconscious working together. Our subconscious is our autopilot. That does all of the easy stuff to do. If we're talking on a phone and driving, we're multitasking, but we are consciously engaged on the phone call and subconsciously engaged with driving the car. So if I direct the conscience of the athlete to the controllable actions that they can do, then it doesn't allow that consciousness to way go off to the side to something uncontrollable and tactical breathing is a four second inhale through the nose four second exhale through the mouth this is just going to help activate the parasympathetic nervous system which is going to start to reduce the heart rate and the controlled breathing your your stress levels are going to go down because when we start to become tense our heart elevates, we get shallow breath, we get tense in the muscles. So we're starting to treat the symptom right then and there. We're starting to address it right away and not really have to focus too much on the cause. But this is something that all athletes really do. The Navy SEALs do it in the military. And four seconds in and four seconds out is a long enough breath to take where you're not completely interrupted with what you're doing. Um, I've heard some people say five second inhale, two second hold at the top and then second exhale. I'm like, that's a full 14 seconds. When you're playing, when you're doing that in a sport, you may not have 14 seconds to do that. So a four second inhale, four second exhale through the mouth is sufficient enough time to help reduce the stress, calm down the, uh, hormones that are just running through your body and just focus on, uh, the controllable actions, because when the stress starts to subside, the gray area in our mind that's clouding our focus starts to subside with it. Uh, so these are the three tools I like to do um, with athletes that are easy to implement right away. And obviously, when athletes engage with me a little bit more, then they're starting to 
treat the cause of distress and start to go into environments where they may not even feel it. But these are coping and regulation strategies when they actually get into those high stress environments. Yeah, it sounds wonderful to me. Very useful from not just athletes, but all of us. And that made me think about the components of meditation. Do you actually instruct them to, or do you ask them to meditate on their own? Kind of spend a few minutes a day meditating? The majority of them, yeah. Um, again, it depends on the athlete and their uh, experience with it and their knowledge of it. Some are completely unaware of what it is. Some of them have uh, this notion that it's uh, for like a whole different category of people. And that's where I may need to work with them slower and say, let's keep this uh, as an option moving forward. We're not going to do it right now. But with the athletes who are a little bit more open to it, we start right away with some simple exercises, some simple meditations, a few minutes a day. Some of them go 10 to 15 minutes a day, depending on their age, their sport, what they're trying to accomplish within those meditations. But yeah, the majority of my athletes yeah. are involved. Yeah, that's wonderful to know, too. I love what you do. Thank you so much. Again, I have to say that I can't help it. <laughs> it's truly beautiful. How do you define success and happiness these days, Alex? Uh, that's a loaded question as well. Um, success is being able to go to bed feeling proud of yourself. And it's sometimes that simple. And, you know, people feel proud of what? Proud of what you accomplished with work, proud of like, what you accomplished with your day. And it's, it sometimes sets people up for, oh, well, if I didn't go to bed proud of myself today, then I'm not successful. And it's like, well, that's just one day, first of all. And mm -hmm. second of all, you may just be using your experience as a way of saying, you know, I'm not proud of the fact that I was sad today, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like, well, no, like how about the way in which you lived with that? and how you regulate and manage that and were able to be with that sadness, that is something to be proud of. And therefore you are demonstrating elements of success within yourself every day. So being able to go to bed, um, proud of yourself, and, but then you would have to start to <laughs> define what pride it's is. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Happiness is, um, happiness to me, is something that already exists within us. It's not something that we have to go get. It's not something that is going to come to us with certain accomplishments. It is something that if we are truly present with gratitude and enjoying the journey of what our life is, happiness, it, it exists. We can draw on this. Not to say that you know, it... It even exists in the presence of sadness, even though sadness may be what we see and feel at that one moment, but it doesn't mean that we are not a happy person. It just means right now I may not be feeling that happiness, right? But I'm still a happy person. It's, it exists inside of me. Right. Uh, I love your wisdom. It's timeless. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure you know these things. Yeah, that's highly spiritual in, in that sense. Is it how you also define confidence within the definition of success and happiness? Would that be this uh, 
somehow very similar to those definitions or understandings? Yeah. Confidence is something that already exists within you as well. It's just a matter of if we are allowing other things to block our connection with it. Um, and a lot of people feel that confidence has to be generated from the things that you've accomplished in the past. And sometimes it's helpful. Sure, if you've accomplished you know, great things, you may feel more confident in certain areas. But otherwise, to me, confidence is self-belief in the future. It is who you believe you can be today, tomorrow, and the days forward. And that's something that you can always draw upon no matter how difficult the circumstances are. So, yeah, it's it. It's inside of us, yeah, for sure. It goes back to it. So that self-trust piece. And I have a technical question about where to find you. But before that, if there's one message everyone who listens to this interview to take with them for life, what would that be? That's a great question. Um, there's, there's no end. That to me is fundamental to understand because we're always looking for the next milestone or the next checkpoint to valid and understand how it operates within the business world and everything like that with seeing improvement and success right? improvement is there sure we hit our own milestones personally but it there's no end to it and we can continue to keep going and um I, I learned that through a sports psychologist who was talking about our will. The only thing about us that is really like you know, infinite is our will that carries on. There's no end to it. Uh, and that to me was telling, you know, what else is infinite, right? It's things that are, that are finite. Um, and I think that concept of, finiteness in this world is what leads people to disappointment expectations um, because infinity can seem very overwhelming but to me it's a world of opportunity and possibility you know if, if there's such a thing as perfection then what happens when you hit it right, right? like yeah. i'd be bored i don't know about <laughs> yes <you. laughs> yes i agree uh, so there's it isn't much that is uh, finite, so there is no end. Keep going and just enjoy the ride. That's it. Oh. Thank you so much, Alex, for your presence here today and for sharing this timeless wisdom that we all need to know and be reminded of and your beautiful intention and impact doing what you do. Thank you for who you are and for being who you are, embracing that, that humanness. Thank you. And before we say goodbye for today, where is the best place to find more information about you? Yeah, so people who want to know a little bit more can go visit uh, my website. It's www.elitementalperformance.net. And if they want to reach out via email, it's alex at elitementalperformance.net. Otherwise, I have an Instagram as well where I post content daily. 
some of them very sports specific, but some of them very philosophical. I actually just posted mm-hmm. about Ikigai the other day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that one's elite underscore mental performance. That's uh, Instagram. And I encourage everyone to go check that out. Wonderful. I'll have those links and the handle on your podcast profile as well. Thank you so much again, Alex. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Alexander Bolovich and his work, please visit EliteMentalPerformance.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.